Hello and welcome to a Sunny 16 podcast extra. Uh, we'd like to throw out these occasional shows. We've got something cool that we want to talk about that we want to get out before the next major show. And this is something super cool and also something that hopefully you will act on quickly if you're interested because there's not much time left. Uh, because tonight we are talking to Matt Beckberger, who is the uh, founder owner, the genius behind Revenue Labs, I'm not sure you're from saying that right, but we'll find out in just a second, um, who came up with their first light meter ooh, a year ago now, I think, and has just come back with a Kickstarter for a new light meter, a new spot meter, which we're going to talk all about tonight. Uh, so welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Graham, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. Yeah, my brain's slightly out sideways because it's Friday, but, you know, that's all right. Uh, first things first, Revenue Labs, is that the right way to say that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, Revenue. <laughs> that sounds... Revenue, okay, Revenue. Well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, the emphasis is, the em emphases are uh, always the weird part of words, right? Well, no, Revenue yeah, is say, good for I me. say many. I Reveni. think it's... it's uh, it's Latin-esque. Okay. Uh, for what? For uh, return. Okay. Uh, or to, re to return, like it's a verb. Um, actually, I, my understanding, I've been told it's, uh, it means something like to return in a lot of languages, um, mostly like Latin-based languages. But um, when I found it, I was thinking about Esperanto specifically. Well, who, who isn't thinking uh, about Esperanto <laughs> most of the time? Um, but I, I picked that because the idea was um, to try to conjure the idea of um, you know, new solutions to old problems mm -hmm. related to film photography and also new solutions to new problems related to film photography, which yeah. is that we're all shooting with old cameras and you know they're all they're all getting up there. There's there's not that many being born anymore. So we uh, we have a we have new problems. Um, <laughs> but luckily we have new technologies that we can hopefully you know leverage to uh to solve those problems so so yeah. that was where the idea came from uh or for the name um it's a good name about, it's a good name um, it's, it's a name that sounds cool yeah. even if you don't know what it means um i think i first heard about your stuff when i was talking to steve lloyd last year about his uh chroma um carbon adventure camera and he was saying to me then that he'd spoken to you right. i think this was um around the time of the Kickstarter, maybe even slightly before your Kickstarter, saying that he'd been in contact with you and he's very excited about it and pairing it up with um, the snapshot and stuff like this and how cool he thought it was. Um, and so, as we said, you kickstarted your uh, tiny light meter last year uh, and it was very, very successful and you got that one out the door and that all went well. And now you've got a new light meter um, on Kickstarter now with, as this goes out, 10 days left to go. Um, before we start talking about these light meters, I'd like to hear a bit about your background, what you do, what you've done, and why uh, Raveni is a thing that you decided to make. I mean, you said what it's for, to bring solutions right. to photography problems, but how did you even end up at that point? Uh, well, I went to school for electronics engineering. Um, so I have an electronics engineering technology diploma. Um, and then... Uh, I started shooting film when I was in when I was in college, and uh, I really um, like I shot digital when I was a teenager. Uh, but then when I was around twenty, I guess uh, nineteen or twenty, I bought a an old Pentax SLR at a like a, a flea market, and um, you know, it was just it, it, 
I hadn't really, you know, handled like, you know, the old cameras with like the good bulk. Like, you know, as a kid, when I was a kid in the nineties, you know, they were, we only had like point shoots, you know, autofocus point shoots. And, you know, they're just like the same old junk as, uh, as anything, uh, you know, I had seen before, uh, 2010 when I, when I got this, uh, Pentax, but then once I finally got like a metal camera in my hands, like I was like, you know, had this sense of, um, interest in the gear, you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm such a gearhead when, uh, when it comes to just about everything. Um, so that appealed to me <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it was fun. It's just, I just enjoyed shooting it. I enjoyed shooting it more in digital and it just, uh, pretty quickly pushed digital, like right out of the way. Um, and, uh, now it's like pretty much all film. I mean, I mean, beyond, you know, utilitarian photography, uh, it's all about film. Um, and then, as one does, I guess, you know, your, your hobbies co-mingle. So, uh, I like to make stuff as well. Um, so, you know, whenever I'm kind of in on a hobby, uh, I end up making all kinds of stuff to go with it, uh, mm-hmm. or looking for DIY, uh, related uh, items. Um, so I started thinking about light meter pretty, pretty shortly after I had bought that camera. Um, most, and I was thinking about it mostly cause I was cheap. Um, and I, I I built a I built a very bad uh, light meter, I think around 2011, um, and then that it sat on the shelf for a few years, and then I picked up the idea again later, and it made it a little bit further, and I had more skills and a little more um, technological know-how. Um, but then uh, around the beginning of 2019, I got serious about the idea of actually building one um, that I could. Uh, you know, actually, like, put on, I figured I'd, I'd put it on Kickstarter because I thought people would actually would want this. Uh, and the idea was because um, I have lots of, like, old, you know, range finders and point and shoots and stuff that have built-in selenium meters, but they're they're totally dead. Yeah. The selenium meters do not register light at all. I've got other ones that are, like, I have a Canon 7 that I, that I like to shoot with. Uh, and it works, but I don't trust that meter. I just don't, I just don't find it. I mean, it's, it's really... Um, Maybe this is part of the age. I mean, it's, it's got to be 50 years old uh, at least. But maybe part of it is um, like it, it it doesn't go in. It doesn't move in low light like, at all. It has yeah. to be bright for it for you to even, you know, meter with it at all. Um, so it's so it, it, you know, it stinks to use and I just don't trust it. Um, so I, you know, was thinking like, you know, it'd be nice to do what, uh, you know, could be as close as possible to having built in metering. Um, so I, you know, I thought I could build a little tiny, you know, digital light meter. They make these tiny little screens now, like the, the screen I used, um, is 0.49 inches diagonally. It's very, 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 very small, uh, screen, uh, OLED screen. Um, and, uh, and they're, they're like cell phone technology and stuff has made a lot of these parts really cheap, like tiny light sensors and this tiny screen. I think it's very similar to one used in like a Fitbit. Um, same kind of technology. Um, and they have really good, um, yeah, they're very, very high contrast. Um, OLED screens are really high contrast, so it's got good outdoor visibility. It's just like great, like the technologies, you know, these sort of, um, you know, byproduct technologies of other things that are going on. Uh, I could see, you know, I could combine these together and make a like a really small light meter. So I thought uh, beginning of 2019, I said, uh, maybe I could make one that actually was like the size of the of the um, hot shoe, 
So, I mean, it's about a three quarter inch square and it ended up being a little bit bigger. It's like, uh, I think it's 22 millimeters wide. So it's a little bit bigger, but that was kind of like the inspiration was like, if I can make it, you know, that size uh, and so many cameras, you know, made in the last hundred years have hot shoes or cold shoes, accessory shoes on them, um, that that would be a good way to mount it. I mean, obviously there's been lots of shoe mounted meters in the past from, you know, all kinds of manufacturers. Um, but I thought, you know, like a lot of them are really big, like, um, even, even modern ones like the Sakonic 208, uh, analog meter, like it, you can get a hot shoe bracket for it, but it's pretty kind of clunky mm. to go on top of a camera. So I thought, you know, it's gotta be really small. Um, it's gotta be, um, you know, it's gotta have like, you know, good features and stuff. And there's lots you can do with digital, uh, technology, you know, adding like, it, you know, doing the math and stuff it makes it, makes it, uh, easier than trying to design, you know, like a wide ranging analog, you know, needle based light meter or something for sure. So I figured I could, 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 uh, you know, figure that out. And, uh, and then by, um, basically the beginning of 2020, I had something that was, uh, looking pretty good. Um, so I wrote up a Kickstarter and, and put it on there and, uh, yeah, people liked it. Um, uh, the, the skill sets because there's so many different skill sets that are needed to make this kind mm -hmm. of thing uh you, you told us there's the engineering there's the design there's the programming there's all of these things what's the day job yeah. that leads you to have i know you said what your education was in but what is the day job right um well since i've been in school i've worked in a lot of different uh or i've worked in several like small companies so i got a lot of exposure to a lot of different parts of of engineering basically um um uh, Prior to uh, Remini Labs, I was working at a company that made uh, electronic uh, devices that can detect um, rust on underground pipes, uh, basically using electricity. Uh, I worked there for about six years um, before I quit to do Reveni Labs full time. Um, and uh, you know, working in small companies, you you get a chance to do a lot of different you know varied roles. So. Um, you know, I kind of self-taught myself 3D modeling. Um, taught myself, you know, how to program. Um, and I got a little bit of that in school. Um, but I taught myself how to do more of that. Um, you know, more more functional um, utilitarian programming, I guess. Um, and when I was in school, I got exposure to like machine shop type stuff, um, which I've expanded on uh, out of school. Um, and now in my garage, I have a pretty good little home machine shop set up. Um, so it just kept like building, you know, I got my, I got kind of, you know, I, I started uh, getting exposure to different things in school and then just built and built on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, like building, building like personal projects, you end up sort of, uh, you know, or if you spend time building personal projects, you know, you kind of you have sort of goal-oriented learning, right? So you you say, you know, I need this thing to do this, so how do I do it? And you end up, you know, learning what you need to know to solve the problem. And over time, you just keep on building out more and more, you know, piecemeal skill sets that, you know, you can combine in different ways to, to get different jobs done. Um, so that's pretty much how it went. Like, I basically spent the last 10 years just learning random stuff and... Uh, and then, you know, when I came to this project, I thought, I mean, you know, it was, 
it was originally like you know self self driven idea, but then I was like people other people would want this too, so um, I designed it you know specifically with manufacturability in mind. Like you know it's 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 one thing to build one of something, but if you want to you know build tons of them, you need to uh, you need to be thinking about that you know <laughs> before you start. Basically, you need to be thinking about manufacturability. So trying to figure all that stuff out um, along the way, and you know and then. And then, um, you know, put it up and see who wants to buy it, basically, which Kickstarter is a great platform for that, hmm. um, you know, to prove prove that people want it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you can actually uh, buy, uh, you can buy in quantity, which helps bring the cost of parts down and, and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it, like, because it can go one of, one of two ways, I guess, right? Like, you're never going to, uh, you, you might, you might, um think a hundred people want it and a thousand people actually want it. So you mm-hmm. build a hundred, put it up for sale and you sold out instantly and we, you know, and all these people are waiting or you think a thousand people want it. You put it up for sale and only a hundred people want it. And now you're stuck with 900. You can't sell. Yeah. But Kickstarter obviously lets you like test the waters. Um, you know, even if you have a product that's like pretty much fully hatched. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, when I, when I started the Kickstarters uh, both times, like I pretty much thought, you know, um, don't like I was kind of like in my head. I don't really see you know what else um, uh, is needed here. But then all the backers, you know, they they come out with all kinds of different suggestions and stuff. And yeah, and a lot of them are good suggestions. So I end up making you know a bunch of changes and improvements. Like just recently, I posted an update about the spot meter. You know, adding stuff and changing stuff and tweaking things and yeah, um, Im- improvements. So um, it's nice to have that. Uh, public feedback i guess yeah um, I, before I, you're like w- too far down the road mm, <laughs> i have to say it was i mean that's one of the things that's most i mean the whole thing the whole thing last year was impressive the product mm-hmm. itself was just an impressive design in the first place um the fact that you built this feature packed light meter that was so small so utterly pocket sized that why wouldn't you take it with you and as you were saying there's so many cameras out there in the wild now that um either never had a light meter or had a selenium meter that is long since dead, or mm-hmm. has a, a light meter that relies on batteries that are now not out there, and you know you don't necessarily want to jump through the hoops of trying to get that sorted. I know I've got several cameras which used to use mercury batteries, and yes, there are ways around it, but yeah. they're all a bit of a faff. And whereas if the alternative is, oh, I just have this one light meter that I can use on any of these cameras, and as long as everything else works manually, I'm good to go. Um, so it's a fantastic mm-hmm. design, but also we've talked a lot about various Kickstarters over the last four and a half, five years. Um, uh, and those Kickstarters have gone various ways, some significantly more successful than others, but um, there are not many that have gone as smoothly as yours. You said what you were going to do. You said you were going to do it by, and um, to the best of my knowledge, you just pretty much then went and did that. Um, it's, it was a, Yeah, pretty it, much. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I know you were saying you spent years picking up knowledge about how to do things and do different stuff, but this was your first crowdfunding project um you know, yeah you, you you learned from other people's mistakes it feels like with that one well i, I padded it out i mean you know um t- picking a timeline is is always a really hard thing and so um you know in my career i've i've worked on um <laughs> like i you know rules of thumb for for how to make a timeline um 
like generally what I, what I do when I'm making a timeline is I write down all the things that need to get done. And I look at each thing and I go, if I know how, uh, if I know how to do this thing, like, let's say it's design the circuit board or something, design this circuit. And then the next thing is uh, programming. And then the next thing is something. So design the circuit. And I'm like, okay, I know how to do this already. Uh, I think it's going to take this long. I double my time estimate. Mm -hmm. And then I, I go, okay, programming. I know I don't know how to do everything I need in order to program this. So I'm going to think, I think it's going to take this long. I triple it. <laughs> yeah. So I have these rules of thumb for like figuring out approximate timelines. And that, that one in particular is that if I know how to do it, I double it. And if I don't know how to do it, I triple it. Uh, based on my 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 you know uh, sort of gut estimate, and that seems to serve me pretty well. So I so I kind of I, you know I padded out the timeline. Um, it funded it funded it was seven hundred seventy seven percent funded. So there was like a lot of work, but not so much work that you can like build a factory or something. Yeah. Um, so it was like it's still going to be me doing all the work. I guess the difference was that I quit my job. Instead of, you know, if I had only sold a hundred of them, I wouldn't quit my job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would so have been a bold move. So, so I was, yeah. So I was able to buy time that way, right? Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> by eliminating my, my, uh, my job. Um, so that was one way that I was able to adapt to the, the number. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of padded the numbers out. Um, like I, I, uh, I was using, um, uh, uh, an assembly um, company to put the components on the circuit board, uh, and they're they're reasonably local, and they were somebody actually that my previous employer used uh, pretty regularly. So I had a sense that they were half decent, mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to you know see how they were going to do and stuff. So I wanted to run like a pre-run, um, and then I'd never done like bulk shipping and stuff. So there's all these things that I just kind of never done. That I need to figure out along the way and how to manage all the background information. Um, things like that. So I knew there was all these little steps along the way, and I I padded my time the best I could, and I ended up using it all. I don't think I I don't think I squandered any of it. Like you know, they say the 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 project expands to fill the time allotted. But, yeah. Um, I think I did a pretty good job of uh, pre-planning how much it was going to expand. Um, it certainly so seems that to it would have, fit. Yeah, it certainly seems to have worked out very well. And your um, those light meters are now available in shops worldwide. I know I saw them available. You you can buy them. I think it's first call. I think I happened to just see it randomly. It might not be first call, but I, I'm, I know yeah, I've seen. Yeah, right. Available. Yeah. Um, yeah. First call. First call is actually the only carrier right now. <laughs> um, oh really? Oh well, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, they reached out to me and wanted to do like a trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, okay, and, uh, sold them, I think 20 units and they've been happy, uh, so far they actually, they're planning on ordering some more soon. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I, I do a lot of it just, uh, like direct to consumer from my website. Um, yeah. because, um, it's, you know, it's so small, uh, the shipping's pretty, uh, reasonable. Like it's, yeah. it's not a hard thing to ship. So, um, so yeah, mostly just direct to consumer and I'm, and I mean, I'm, you know, it's so niche, right? So people basically just see it on Instagram. Like that's really, uh, my, my advertising is Instagram basically. Yeah. Um, and word of mouth, I guess. I think that must and be the podcast. one that, podcast. <laughs> I think that's the, well, the sort of the difficult thing is because as you said, it is like, it's not because it's a small black gray cube. Um, it, it doesn't yeah. instantly leap. You go, Oh, here's a desirable thing that you want. 
<laughs> you know, it's like unless people take the time to learn about it and find out what it is, um, it, it doesn't sell itself until you know what it is and what it does. Um, yeah, it's kind of plain looking. I mean, it's it's so small, right? That's the other thing I think is the size is not apparent. Uh, mm. I have people say, then they get it, they go like, and you said it was small, but like they're like when they when they get it in their hand, they're like, oh, like it's really small. Yeah, I, and that's one of the things where, yeah, where people sort of. Uh, because um, the 3D printed is printed on this very expensive 3D printed uh, 3D printer um, machine, this industrial printing process, but um, it, it parts aren't super smooth. They have a bit of a, a texture to them, mm -hmm. um, like very fine sand is kind of what the outside looks like. Yeah. The photographs, you know, you see a photograph of the meter, um, and and you're not seeing it full size. Like if you're looking at it on your phone, like it's still uh, a magnified image, right? <laughs> so they're like, oh, it looks like it doesn't look good. Um, and it's like, yeah, but like you, you, you can't get your face this close in real mm -hmm. life. <laughs> like yeah. you're not looking at it under a microscope. Like you'd be looking at it in a magnifying glass uh, if it was this big in real life. Like your eyes can't focus this close. Have you been tempted um, to go down the <laughs> um, the Ethan Moses camera dactyl route of maybe bringing it out with some funky colors, or uh, <laughs> are you not so keen on that? No. Well, actually, though the the technology is a little bit limiting. The um, the, the the printing um, the powder that it's printed from is is white nylon, but the the uh, chemical binder that they use to fuse the powder together mm -hmm. uh, is black. So the parts come out basically black. Um, they come out kind of a model dark gray and then they get dyed black just so it looks more uniform, but mm -hmm. there really is not like if you cut, if you cut the, the material in half, it's black all the way through. Right. There's not really any choices. So Ethan's doing, um, uh, like a, a more of a home, uh, home level, um, 3d printing. He's using, he's like many home, uh, 3d printers, yeah. consumer grade. Uh, and you can feed all kinds of different colors of plastic into those machines. But this one, this one, the powder and the binder, it's basically chemically limited to black. Like you can paint it. Uh, I had one guy actually who painted his meter silver because he wanted it to match his uh, rangefinder. Mm. But I mean, it, he used spray paint. Um, yeah. So it's, and it, you know, it, it's it's going to flake off and stuff eventually if it's getting rubbed and stuff. It's gonna it's gonna come off the corners. And so stuff. we're gonna be waiting but, for technology uh, to catch up before we can have bright yellow and, and fuchsia pink light meters. Is what you're yeah. saying. There are there are powder there are powder printing technologies that are not as strong or durable that give you color options, but it, it would sacrifice the durability. This nylon stuff is quite durable. Yeah, um, it's, re it's reasonably flexible, but it's um, I think it's pretty good impact proof and stuff like that. You talked about the fact that from when you launched that Kickstarter, thinking, well, I've done everything that I want to do. This is ready to go. There's nothing more that needs to be done with it. And then the moment people started looking at it, you started getting feedback and getting ideas from people and features they'd like to see. What kind of stuff did you add to the light meter um, following on from that feedback? Well, it was, yeah, it was more like I was out of ideas. It wasn't necessarily that I was like, I, you know, I wasn't saying it was perfect, <laughs> but, but I was out of ideas, mm -hmm. self-generated ideas. Yeah. Um, and I was keeping it kind of quiet because I was worried that I would get copied or something. Mm -hmm. um, which there's there's lots of um, uh, Chinese manufacturers now making very similar products. Um, some of them, I think, you know, were inspired by me. Some of them, I think, maybe they had maybe come to the same conclusions earlier, but weren't like widely available yet. But there are quite a number of these, uh, you know, little hot shoe meters with 
with OLED screens uh, on the market now. Um, but uh, uh, suggestions that I got, uh, like uh, people, I think that originally it only gone up to like F128. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, I shoot pinhole. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, actually, that's a good idea. So I expanded the apertures up to F1000. Um, um, <laughs> that's and I, size a good small pinhole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, originally, I had, I think I would changed it to F250 mm-hmm. maximum. And then somebody said, well, I have a camera that's F360. I said, okay, fine. I'll just do it to F a thousand. Like, yeah. I don't think. I mean, I just don't to think shut you lot up, because otherwise you just know that any number you're going to go to. Someone's going, well, I have one that's F six hundred. Right. Like, well, fine. Anybody yeah. above F one thousand? No, good. Can we move on now, please? Yeah, F one thousand. Um, <laughs> that's pretty serious. Yeah, that is, yeah, maybe that is a tiny by, hole. If you had a, <laughs> an eight by ten or something. Mm. Um, and then, um, and then I sent the times up you know, to accommodate. So it went up to an hour. I think I can't remember what it went up to originally, maybe like a minute. Mm-hmm. And I expanded it to an hour just to accommodate the, you know, the opposite side of the pinholes. You need long exposure time. Yeah. Um, and then ISO from one to 12,800. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to make sure I thought, you know, you know, there's people shooting some strange films that are really slow or expired films that they're derating. Um, or even paper negative. Like I, I've never shot paper negative, but I heard people saying it's like ISO one or something. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So one and three are available ISOs on that meter. Um, so I just, you know, it was, it was easy to expand as, as wide as (laughs) any sane person could want. I figured. Yeah. uh, I mean, I suppose so. it's one of those things. If if essentially it's a case of just programming in more variables and it's not too difficult to do, why not? Because yeah, pretty much. Yeah. As you said, there are people out there. I mean, I I've certainly heard of people shooting sub one ISO film. Um, mm-hmm. Nutters is the technical name for those people. But um, there's if you can if you can think about it, someone is doing it. Um, with the original light meter, um, what? What was the lowest light levels that that would function? You mentioned about the fact that a lot of camera meters kind right. of start to crap out in low light. How how good was your how good is the um, tiny light meter good for? Yeah, well, like the Selenium ones seem to crap out maybe like EV six or something like that. Um, this little meter goes to EV zero point five, um, so it's not like I mean the incident meter is the best meter for low light because the light from the um, light source is falling directly on the sensor, right? Like mm-hmm. you're even, it'd be even more ideal if you didn't have a lumosphere on it or anything. Like if it was light, you know, no light is lost. That'd be ideal. Mm-hmm. Reflecting light. Now you're bouncing it off the subject. So you're losing tons of light bouncing yeah. off the subject. Um, and then, uh, and then spot meter is the worst because almost all the light in the scene is not useful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, you have to block all of it. Um, so your sensitivity keep your, or your available number of photons keeps getting lower and lower. Um, so, but I was able to do F zero point five, or sorry, uh, EV zero point five uh, at ISO one hundred, um, which is like dim, dim light, uh, you know, like a really dim interior. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be able to pick up a reading. You're, you're pushing it there. Yeah. Um, but you will get you will get a reading. Yeah. Um, and then it it just says too low on the screen if it's like way too low. Yeah, got you. Um, um, but the EV does go lower than that if you crank the ISO way up. Yeah. Well, seeing as you mentioned spot meters, this seems like a good time to start talking about the new one. So when you, with the first light meter, um, it was a perfect light meter for so many different cameras that 
people shooting in every way could use. It's just a good universal light meter. Yeah. Um, what made you start thinking about making a spot meter following on from that? Why was your next thought more light meters? Um, well, you know, thinking, you know, this is my job now. Um, so I need to come up with products that, you know, have some market appeal. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I have, I have a couple of spot meters. Uh, I have a Pentax spot meter V that I like using, but it's really, really large. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was thinking it'd be nice if there was a smaller option because having this thing around your neck is like, it's, it's, it's this huge, you know, one pound thing swinging back and forth. Um, I, I didn't, you know, that wasn't great. Um, the one I bought actually was, was broken. Um, and I had to fix it. It was badly uh, damaged by corroded batteries. Um, and, uh, but I mean, other than that, now, now that I fixed it, it works fine. Um, but like the prices on some of these old spot meters are really, really high. So, mm, yeah. um, and availability you know, they, is low as well, the two go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. They're certainly not making, yeah. They're certainly not making any more, um, of the old ones. And then the new ones are expensive too, like Siconic, uh, L758, I think is like $600 US or something. Um, so like if you basically, if you want a new spot meter, you'd be looking at, I think Gossen has one for 500 us at BNH that I saw. Um, so yeah, so if you want new, the best you could do is 500 us. And if you want used, you can get some of these old analog ones for like a hundred, 150, um, you know, on eBay, like the, if we call eBay, the market rate, you know, mm -hmm. where, you know, who knows where they are in the world, but people can, you know. It can go to the highest bidder, I guess, across mm. the world. I um, think availability in North America is certainly better than it is in the UK. I think you would really struggle with finding anything like that in the UK on eBay. It's um, there's just there's yeah. one of those things. just there were never were as many of them in the country because the country is much smaller. So, well, like I, I, routine, I was when I was doing kind of research on that, I was seeing like the Pentax digital spot meters, which is like, I guess, the best uh, you know vintage spot meter around. Um, they're like they're selling from Japan for three to four to five hundred dollars. It seems mm. like, uh, yeah, three to four hundred dollars, and that and those were the sold listings. Like I was, you know, on eBay, I was searched by you know our uh, show sold listings only, and and you see, you know, that they've sold for a fortune. Yeah, what's well, one of those that tools? told me, you know, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say it's one of those tools, isn't it? That um, whilst there are far fewer people shooting who need or want a spot meter if you need or want a spot meter there's not there are there just aren't any good cheap alternatives you for a general light meter if you're prepared to faff around and don't mind mucking about with stuff you can you could use your phone you could you know your real adults are not going to be as good but there are ways mm -hmm. to get close enough for you but for a spot meter no <laughs> there's there's nothing you yeah. can't do a spot meter reading with your phone no i mean you could maybe use a dslr or something to do it mm. but now you're carrying a second camera. <laughs> yeah. Which if you're going on a hike with a four by five or an eight by 10, I mean, you really don't want to carry any extra stuff. No. Um, so I thought, I thought I could do uh, something really small and, uh, and I was inspired by, um, just inspired by, um, so, so, so my thinking was, you know, it should be small uh, and cheap basically was, was two of the things. Um, and, and then I was inspired by, um, 
um, these there were these really early versions of what are now uh, red dot uh, gun sites, um, like you see in video games, mm-hmm. um, where there's this piece of glass and it's projecting a, a, a floating. There's a floating, you know, illuminated dot inside this little window um, that's on the gun, and you know, it's a gun, so like you need to aim it pretty accurately. Um, and uh, and then, but the, there's earlier versions um, where you actually don't see through the sight. They're called occluded uh, occluded eye sights. Um, and basically what that means is um, you block one eye, but you have a, a, an optical system that, um, that, that blocks the vision of the scene, but provides a, a, a reference dot that's sitting in the in your view in the one eye, and then your other eye does all the scene viewing, and your brain will combine the two views together, um, because you kind of you know in your head you see sort of just one vision, right? You don't most most people don't have sort of uh, double vision all the time. <laughs> um, so I so I basically thought you know well that's great because um, I can put a sensor and a lens and then a screen. With a with an aiming reticle on it, and then a viewing lens, I can put them all on the same axis, and make a light meter that doesn't have any internal like pass through viewfinder optics. So it'll be a lot smaller. I don't need any mirrors. I don't need any funky stuff because I can actually put the sensor, which is opaque, right where, right in line with where the eyeball it would be trying to look through the device. Right, like all these other meters have to solve it with prisms and mirrors mm-hmm. and stuff, in order to put the you know, the target light into a sensor, but then allow the user to see through the meter. Like that's a big problem basically. It's a, they've, they've set themselves up to make a big problem there. So this device, the idea is that you use your other eye to view the scene rather than trying to view it through the meter itself. Um, and the, this, this system actually does work really well. Um, so the so when you're looking inside the meter, you're seeing there's a there's a lens in front of the screen which, um, <clears throat> which prevents you from moving your head and making the targeting area move. Like the the lens allows your, it's a terribly difficult uh, thing to describe. Mm-hmm. It's even hard to even grasp in video, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but but the lens plus the internal screen, it kind of makes it look more like a window. So when you move your head away from it, the aiming reticle that's in the inside the meter doesn't actually appear to get smaller. You just see less of the internal screen. And when you move your head closer, more of the screen becomes visible. So it's more like a window into a, another room rather than um, you looking at a screen, like looking at your phone. And when you're moving your changing the angle of your phone, um, you're you know you're seeing a skewed image of what's on the phone. In this case, it's like you're looking through a window. So when you move closer, move your eye closer to the meter, you're seeing more of the internal screen. You move it away, you're seeing less. When you move side to side, it, your view of what you can see inside it moves. It's, it's, I know I'm doing a terrible job of describing it, but. Um, <laughs> but you've got, you have got, I know you said that the video doesn't, uh, is it also doesn't do a. Yeah, Even the video doesn't do it justice, yeah. But it, it, it's I, terribly, I, <laughs> it's terribly unintuitive until you pick it up and look into it and it then it becomes extremely intuitive yeah i um, i'd never heard of this idea before <laughs> and i watched your video and went huh 
Okay, yeah. I see. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure that nothing can compare to actually having one of these things in your hand and having a go at doing it and going, "Oh, okay, this it's works." Yeah. But um, I think mm. the video, which is on the Kickstarter, which obviously will be in the show notes, um, yeah. it, it it kind of gives as good an idea as you possibly can do. It's like virtual reality headsets. You just have to put one of these things on to, to understand them. Yeah, a little bit. And and that lens, um, the other nice thing about that lens uh, that's in front of the screen is that it um, it makes the internal screen, even though it's only maybe two and a half inches away from your eye, it makes the internal screen appear as if it's at infinity. So your eyes are totally relaxed and you're, you're just looking off into the distance. And so the unobscured eye can see the scene totally fine. Mm-hmm. And the obscured eye can read the screen and there's no eye strain at all, which is really nice. And even if you uh, if you're somebody who has to wear reading glasses, um, and, and like you, you when you have good uh, distance vision, it works totally fine. You don't need uh, you don't need to wear glasses to use it. But if you do have generally poor vision, or you or you have poor uh, distance vision, um, you don't have to get it super close to your eye. There you can. There's about uh, an inch at about an inch and a half. You can see the entire internal screen, which has all the information on it. Um, so you can wear glasses and use this meter. It's totally fine, which is nice. So for somebody like me, Matt, so I wear glasses yeah. for um, close-up. No, for distance, I wear glasses to see things a lot. But um, then I actually have to, so I probably have to take my glasses off to see through this, I would guess, because uh, because of where my eyes focus. If I get that close, I'm, I can't see stuff with my glasses on. But So I just pop my glasses up and look through it then. Or would that... Okay, so that's the thing. No, so, so you're saying you can't see up close? That's with fine. my glasses if on. F- if you can see far with your glasses on or yeah. off or whatever. If you can see far, yeah. there's room for glasses there. Yeah. So if you need to wear glasses to see far, you can leave your glasses on and look into the meter because there's enough room for the glasses to fit between your eye and the meter. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't affect the, the, the operation. Awesome. That sounds very yeah. handy. Um, can you just sort of describe what this thing is um, physically just so people could, got an idea what we're talking about? Yeah, so so it's um, it's it's kind of it kind of looks like a monocular. It's sort of a tubular um, device. The, at the front, there's a small lens. That's where the light is coming into the sensor. Then on the top, there's four buttons that you use to control it. And then the, on the back, there's a large lens. That's the viewing lens. And the, and when you look through that lens, you're seeing a, a small OLED screen that's inside the device. Um, so um, when you hold it up to your eye and you turn it on. Uh, you're looking with one eye into this device, uh, and you can see um, all the exposure information. And then in the center of the screen, there's a an aiming reticle. And what you do to aim the meter is you fixate your vision on that reticle. Uh, and because the lens is making your uh, your uh, letting your eye look at this screen as if the screen is at infinity, uh, like it makes it appear from uh, an eyeball focusing perspective at at, um, at a distance, uh, when you fixate on that target point, your other eye sort of relaxes into looking at the same place. It's the reason why when you look at something, you don't see two of the same thing. It's because your eyes are working together to look at the same spot. Um, and it's using that function of your uh, you know binocular vision system to allow you to aim this meter with accuracy at what you're looking at. So you end up with this sort of virtual image in your head where um, your brain is kind of ignoring the black parts of the of the view inside the meter and filling in that area with 
um, the information from the unobscured eye. Uh, but at the same time, you're seeing the sort of um, digital overlay, uh, uh, like the, the exposure information and the aiming reticle. You're seeing that in your vision as well. So you your brain merges the two together in a way that's difficult to convey even with special effects. Like in, in the Kickstarter video, I made a, an animation where I took two photographs, one photograph with the meter in front of the photo and another photograph with the meter out of frame and then put the two together and blended them. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to, um, even that doesn't really look right because your brain is actually good at picking out things. Yeah. So you almost end up with like kind of a green screen halo around the, uh, like the, the text that you're seeing. Like your, your brain, your brain does like some really kind of interesting, like real time processing on the on the images. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. And go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You carry on, Matt. Carry on. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, I'll I'll, I'll leave in then because I, okay. I mentioned at the beginning of when we started talking about the spot meter, the fact that um, fewer people will have used the spot meter. I've never. I don't own spot meter. I've not other than on um, SLRs or DSLRs rather um, cameras that had it built in, I've not used a spot meter. Could you talk a bit about what a spot meter is and what it's primarily used for? And then following on from that, talk about the functionality of your spot meter um, and all the stuff that it does. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, basically the question is why would you want to use a spot meter? Mm. Um, if you've got a scene where um, your subject, let's say, so we call the subject is the thing that you are interested in capturing. Um, if that subject is, you know, sort of different from the majority of the scene, it's going to be difficult for any camera or light meter to accurately um, get a sense of that subject, right? Like the meter doesn't know what light, is coming from what and what is important to you, the photographer. So uh, having a meter that can measure just a small part of the scene instead of measuring sort of the average of the scene um, just gives you a lot of uh, control as a photographer in order to measure exactly what you're, what you're looking for. Um, it lets you measure, you know, specifically the shadows or specifically the highlights or specifically someone's face or specifically any part of the scene. Um, my meter in particular, it measures a, an area that represents sort of a one and a half degree cone. Um, so you imagine a cone sort of projecting at the front of the meter. So the further away the subject is, the sort of larger space of, of light on that subject you're going to be able to measure. Um, for reference, a one and a half degree cone is about a uh, two inch diameter at 10 feet. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a reasonably small uh, area. Um, and, uh, and it lets you just sort of pick and choose like really specific parts of your scene and you can get a better sense of the, the overall, um, what's called the dynamic range of the scene. So the difference between the brightest spot and the darkest spot uh, and how far those stray from the middle uh, or how far they stray from um, some part of your subject that you're interested in capturing. Like if you're photographing, uh, you know, uh, a married couple in front of a waterfall um, you know, making sure the married couple are, are properly exposed is probably priority number one. And then maybe you know, want to make sure you're catching the waterfall the best you can, given the situation. 
the lighting situation and you know what you can and can't control. So, so having the ability to measure very uh, specific areas um, is the benefit of a spot mirror. Gives you control, mm -hmm. more control, more information. Um, and then so my spot meter has some extra features. So um, you can measure. Uh, you can basically just measure points on the scene. That's in uh, what? Uh, that's in uh, single mode, basically. So it's like you get a single reading. So you can you can sample one spot. The meter will tell you how bright that spot is. What exposure you would need to make that spot. Um, you know the, what they call the middle gray. So. Um, um, so because it's a reflective, you know, ref reflective meter, um, the meter doesn't know what color an object is. It only knows how much light is bouncing off the object. So if you aim it at a dark object, it's going to tell you to expose longer because, uh, than if you aim at a light object because there's more light coming off the bright object. Um, so it, it, you know, it ends up becoming part of the photographer's job to pick and choose, uh, you know, what's important and what's a good metering target, for example. Um, so there's the single mode, which lets you just capture simple readings. Um, you can meter one spot and then there's a compare function. Every mode has a compare function. So, uh, you, after you release the sample button and you're told basically the brightness of that thing that you, um, selected, you can then press and hold the menu button and that puts it in compare mode and you can now aim around the scene and see the difference in brightness between the thing that you sampled and now what you're looking at in real time. Mm -hmm. Um, then there's uh, there's a two spot averaging mode. Basically, when you're in that mode, you can first it will prompt you on the screen to sample the shadow. You can get a shadow reading, and then it will prompt you to sample a highlight. And you can get a highlight reading, and while you are searching for those two spots, it will show you the brightness of those spots. Um, and then when you're searching for the highlight, which you do after the shadow, it will show you the difference between where you're aiming in real time versus the shadow that you previously captured. Then after you've picked your shadow and highlight, it will calculate the middle exposure that's between those two and give you the camera settings for that. Um, so it's kind of what it says on the tin, which is two spot averaging. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, a third mode is, uh, it's called the precision metering method, which was created by a photography teacher named Nick Carver. Um, it's a mode that um, does. Um, it's 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 interesting. It's it's uh, it's more complex than the first two modes. But once you learn it and master it, you actually is very powerful. Um, it allows you to um, pick a spot. So what you do is you pick a spot in your scene, but then you select yourself in your head a descriptor for that. So um, you might aim it at the surface of a table. And the meter can measure that brightness, um, but it doesn't know anything about, you know, how you would classify that as, you know, a bright object or a dark object. So you look at the top of the table, and you might say, well, that table is uh, is light. It's a light. It's a it's a very light table. Let's say so, like a, a light gray, be a nice easy target. Um, so you aim the meter at that spot, and then when you after you've taken the sample of that spot, it asks you to place the spot on uh, a scale of um, descriptors, text descriptors for the um, to that describe the the brightness of this object. So you can pick from middle gray to somewhat light, very light, almost white to textureless white. You can go from textureless black to textureless white, and there's ten different 
uh, 11 different graduations between those going from black to white. Um, and, uh, and so you, you add your, it's sort of, it's trying to leverage your brain's ability to judge brightness, mm -hmm. uh, and judge, judge the brightness of let's even, even, you know, non gray objects. So a colored object, it allows you to judge, you know, a Brown or judge a green to, um, to, to figure out the brightness, uh, in a more, um, kind of intuitive way yeah, and, and, and add your brain power to the meter's ability to actually measure the, the, the real reflected brightness. Um, and then it, it will give you the exposure, um, based on what you, based on what you told it, that the, the spot you picked was, you know, bright or dark. Yeah. It then computes the gray, uh, and gives you the camera settings. It computes the, the sort of middle of your scene. Um, yeah. but then when you go into compare mode, and you start looking around the scene in compare mode, you can now check to make sure that you made the right decision. So you can aim it at another object. Let's say you you aimed at the desk and that was very light. Well, now you can aim it at the floor under the desk, which you say is uh, somewhat dark. And it will show you in, in written text, somewhat dark or very dark, or it will show you the text equivalent of what you uh, had selected for the first reading. That sounds super When you're in useful. compare mode. Because it's, it's one of those yeah. things that it's very easy to, um, when you're using any light meter on any camera, uh, to just yeah. assume, oh, it's it's going to make the right choice. But uh, they're dumb. They just want everything to be mid-gray. And right. uh, the classic example is, uh, oh, the snow. Let's go and take pictures of the snow. And it's going to look at this mm -hmm. lovely bright white snow and go, middle gray. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, oh, no. Right. Yeah, it doesn't know, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a one pixel camera that doesn't save the image. Mm-hmm. Basically, what a meter is. So you have to you have to be the brain behind the meter to you know actually interpret what it's telling you. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but then um, another really cool thing about the um, precision method mode is that um, you can select your film's latitude. So you can actually set uh, what does white mean for this film? What does black mean for this film? So if you know that uh, if you underexpose the film by three stops, it goes totally black. You can set that in the meter. And you know, oh, if you're using, I don't know, let's say, you know, uh, color negative film has pretty good overexposure tolerance. Uh, you can say, all right, well, I'm, I want, uh, I want, you know, white, textureless white to be six stops over gray. So you can actually set the bounds that this, um, that the text, the text scale, um, is is uh, is pegged to. So if you're shooting slide film, you can make it a smaller scale, if uh, a smaller latitude. If it's um, black and white film or color negative film, you can make it a larger latitude. If you run experiments with your you know your favorite film or paper negative or something, if you're doing something strange, you can um, you can experiment and determine your uh, particular materials latitude. Yeah. So that you can, um, you know, sort of maximize your, your exposure that way and know whether or not you're going to lose your highlights or you're going to lose your shadows or, you know, what your, what your, get a better idea of what your final result's going to be. And you can, you can load that right into the meter by setting those high and low limits. Um, so that's a really cool feature too. Yeah. That's um, awesome. It's a step beyond the zone system where the zone system, you have to memorize, okay, well, you know, uh, slide film doesn't, you know, uh, slide film can't go below zone two and it can't go over zone eight yeah. or something like that, right? So it's an extension of that. Um, yeah. 
something that people have been asking for though is uh, for me to add the zone system to this meter. So I am, uh, I have announced now that I'm going to add a, just a straight zone system mm-hmm. mode to the meter. Previously, I wasn't going to do that, but uh, um, I'm going to build in a, a <clears throat> like a you know the the hard zone system. So essentially, each each zone is a stop, and the the you know the range is plus five to minus five, basically. Yeah, yeah, or, uh, yeah. Plus, Makes sense. Plus if that's six, what you've been using. inclusive, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, there are people who've sort of trained themselves in the zone system, and now they kind of think in zones, um, and so they want to be able to continue to think in zones. So. Yeah. But no, I say, was it Nick, so, Nick Carver? You said was the guy who came up with the. Um... That's right. Yeah, yeah, Nick Carver. Um, he he's a pretty popular large format YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. He actually he runs a a, a metering course uh, on his website. He has a video series um, about um, metering for film, basically. Yeah. And uh, and he's been a he's been very um, he's been a big proponent of the his favorite meter is the uh, Pentax digital spot meter. Um, and, uh, when I was looking for people to, to help basically, um, you know, run some trials with my, with my prototypes, I was, you know, poking around on the internet looking for, you know, large format photographers who might be interested. And I, I sent him an email saying I was building a spot meter. Uh, and he was like, well, I, I basically don't care unless it's, <laughs> you know, good, good with this method. Yeah. He basically said, I like the Pentax digital. And I don't really like anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he's like, "If it doesn't work, I don't, I don't care." Uh, yeah. And so I told him more about it, and he said, "That sounds interesting." And then uh, I learned more about his method. I actually, I hadn't heard of it, uh, his method specifically. Um, but he told me some more about it, and I, I learned more about it. And I went. He was w- the way his works is you, you know, involves uh, using like a paper chart and stuff. Like I was describing about, about setting your film latitude, you end up using a paper chart and use different mm-hmm. charts. And I told him, I said, I could burn that right into the meter. I could make that built into the meter. You could throw away the chart. And he thought that was a really cool idea. So now we actually we're we're in a sort of a partnership here. So it's sort of Nick Carver trademark uh, precision metering method. Um, and. Uh, um, actually, if, if there uh, there are a lot of people who are students of this course, they can actually get a ten percent discount on the Kickstarter. If we're, we're doing sort of a tit for tat thing, so if 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 you purchase the meter and decide you want to take his metering course later on, um, you can save ten percent. Basically, customers of me can save ten percent on his course, and customers of his course can save ten percent on the meter, uh, or vice versa. That's very cool. Um, that's very cool. And uh, yeah, so that's that's working really well. He uh, he's really excited about it. Um, and he's he's got a pretty you know he's got a pretty wide following in the uh, in the large format uh, YouTube world. Um, the whole yeah, so yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say. I mean, the the functionality that this has to offer is fantastic. Um, and as you've mm-hmm. talked through and talked through how you would use it, um, it's it's clear to anybody that's just listened to that that obviously this is a tool that you're using for careful precision photography this is not going to be the kind of thing you're going to go off oh, and walk around just walk the streets and click away and do some street shooting or something like that this is a tool for a certain kind of work whether you're maybe shooting with slide film or um, shooting large format or something where you're slowing right down and you really want to make sure that you nail the exposure you know i'm not going to do this with a camera where i've thrown in some hp5 and i'm like well this will be fine you know <laughs> close enough is good well, enough. not necessarily um i mean with a spot meter 
there's there's more complexity, which means there's more you know risk if you don't know what you're doing. So, mm. um, you know, if you're if you're just you know doing a walk about town and uh, like I can think of tons of reasons why you would want to use a spot meter. Like if you uh, want to take a picture of a guy who's you know standing in a in like the vestibule of a store. Um, and this, this stores in the sun and it's, and it's, you know, beaming, but he's like, he's, you know, tucked in the shadow there. Like, you know, your camera's meters like, my God, this store is bright. Yeah. <laughs> but you're trying to photograph this guy. So he's going to come out, you know, in the shadow. Um, uh, you know, having a spot meter would be a perfect opportunity there. But this um, is the thing, to, isn't it? You can just look at this guy and go, I just want this guy. I don't, you know, let this building blow out. I want to, I want to see this guy's face. So, you know, I'm going to grab my spot meter, a meter for him. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, that's the thing where you would have to, you know, um, perhaps have the experience and the memory that you probably learned through trial and error. Oh, this building's bright. My meter's going to screw up. I yeah. got to add two stops because the meter's screwing up. But with the spot meter, you can probably just get what you want. And you actually, you know, you could it, like you, you as an experienced person may have um, learned the hard way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine, but yeah but this i think this is the thing though this is the great thing about this spot meter that you've made is that um it's tiny it's not as tiny as the other one but it's a really it's slightly larger than the roll of film um so it's something you can yeah. just put in your pocket and go whereas with the other spot meters that are out there that's not something you can just shove in your pocket and go they are things that take up space that they are you're making a conscious choice to take with you whereas right this could just go in the bag, go in the pocket, and you've just got it there. So you can use it yeah. for whatever. Um, but Yeah, it's tiny. It's not swinging around. Like the, the Pentax one I have it is larger than a point and shoot. Like it's gigantic. Yeah. And it looks like a gun, which isn't great either. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a gun. Uh, so, yeah. Given the fact that sport meters are less well-known and less widely used, uh, have yeah. you been surprised by the fact that you've actually got more backers for this than you had for your original light meter? Um. Not so much. I think, you know, now, you know, I've made Revenue Labs more of a name. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so and I think there's more people who are willing to take a shot on this Kickstarter because mm. they saw that I, uh, you know, I, like I made a point in my Kickstarter video to mention, you know, last year I did this and delivered on time and everything's good, you know, like <laughs> trying to trying to demonstrate like, you know, a pedigree um, so that people don't just think I'm just, you know, some, you know, guy who... Who, like I was an unknown quantity in the first one, right? So I yeah. totally get that there are people who would never back anybody on Kickstarter. Uh, certainly, like there's there's people who never back a Kickstarter. Period. I'm sure, but there's also people who would never back a first time Kickstarter, and they would back somebody who had a previous success. Yeah. So I can see that that would help too, and and you know being more known rather than totally unknown definitely helps to to sell more. So I'm not I'm not necessarily surprised, but you are right that spot meters are um more rare but maybe they're also more rare because they're hard to find and the new ones are super expensive and the old ones are also kind of super expensive yeah uh, like maybe it's not necessarily the spot meters fault that there's less people using spot meters you know what i mean yeah yeah um because that is that is one thing right? it was uh what i say small and cheap were mm -hmm. two of the major goals so it's it is it's 225 dollars canadian which is about a hundred and 85 us 128 pounds i can tell you that 128 pounds yeah um so it's you know it's uh it's intended to be it's intended to kind of fill that 
what I've described to people is like, if the Sakonic is like a Mercedes Benz, like, you know, even if we all agree that, um, uh, that Mercedes Benz is the best car, it doesn't mean that we can all afford them. So I was trying to fill that like Toyota Corolla spot that appears to exist below the, the Mercedes Benz level meters. Uh, like the Sakonic meters uh, is the, uh, is the Mercedes Benz of spot meters. Um, and are these going to be, because they're not hot shoe mounted, these are things that you just, you, because obviously you have to hold it up to your eye yeah. to look through. So, yeah. um, so you're One including hand. with them, they've got a neck lanyard and stuff like that with them. Are, are they reasonably yeah. robust because they are more likely to be floating around places? Uh, yeah, this material, like I was saying, the material is really strong. Um, I have dropped these pl- plenty of times uh, without any trouble. The material... Um, it doesn't break. Um, like you really have to whack it in order to uh, to shatter it or something. Um, <laughs> I love and a it, challenge. And it, wear, it wears nicely. Like it'll take a polish. Like if it's rolling around in your bag or something for mm-hmm. a long time, it'll it'll take a polish. Um, um, yeah, it's it's really robust. Um, and I mean, you know, I I will support them uh, indefinitely. I uh, you know as long as I can, I will you know, take them back and repair them and all that stuff too. So yeah, the, uh, I mean, I make them, I make them here in Canada. The, the, the enclosures are printed in Canada. Like, it's not like I'm running, you know, one, one run of a injection mold machine and, and I have a box of them and I'm never going to run anymore or anything like that. Um, everything it, 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 I've done as much as I can locally. Um, so I, I have them printed locally uh, the material comes from the USA, actually, the print material. But I have them printed locally. Um, my circuit board assembler, uh, the the guy with the machines that puts the tiny parts on the circuit board that I designed, uh, he's uh, he's in Ontario. Um, the circuit boards come from China, and the actual components of on the on the circuit board come from all over the place. But uh, it's I've tried to keep it you know pretty local. Um, but it's it's repairable. It's probably user repairable if they had <laughs> i suspect they, your view of user repairable and mine are two was, very different things i was gonna say if somebody had any experience with camera repair that they would probably be able to repair this but <coughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> but uh, but it's yeah it's it's no it's robust though um i don't think that uh that there will be an issue with with damage but yeah, it comes with a neck lanyard. There's a there's a lanyard loop on the bottom. Um, you can wear it. it it's not hot shoe mounted. I, some people had asked if it was going to be hot shoe mounted. I, the thing is, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to aim it sort of freely, mm. right? And then having it small. Yeah. If you strap it to your camera, now it's you know stuck on there, and it's uh, it's, yeah, it's you now you're aiming the whole camera all over the place. No, um, it makes a lot more sense for it to be designed to be used in the hands yeah exactly i mean yeah. especially if you're shooting large format that could be a real problem if you want to pick that up and wave oh, yeah, it around yeah. the place no that would be that'd be too much yeah um, i said it's i think it's a really cool product i, I genuinely think it's a really uh because it's because it's filling a gap that absolutely yeah. existed um and there's somebody who has looked at spot meters in the past and gone yeah the these are out of my price range and anything that comes close to being in my price range I'm not confident that these 30, 40 year old tools are going to be reliable. Right. Um, so um, yeah. I think it's really exciting. 
really cool and um as we said it's been hugely supported right from the get-go you were at 946 backers at this point with 11 days still to go as we record this so um mm-hmm. yeah that's very impressive very impressive yeah it's uh it's been well received uh which um i'm glad about um and another thing i added recently is uh so the, the in the kickstarter the the battery design that you see is um batteries sit in a drawer that slides into the front of the meter mm-hmm. and actually i now changed it that uh i've <coughs> excuse me my my testers have found some reliability issues with that that it doesn't always make great contact and that sort mm-hmm. of thing so um uh, i've changed the design now that actually there's a door and now there's going to be a door in the bottom that opens up more like a, like a tv remote where you, there's a little a little tab that you so pop with your fingernail and it yeah. and open up the bottom but then inside there now there's also going to be a micro USB port. Um, so there's actually just enough room that I can put a micro USB port in there. Uh, and that will allow um, user updatable <laughs> software. So, so I mean, one of the things I was concerned about was if there's a mistake in the software or something like that, or you know, I find a bug later on. Yeah. Um, that that would, could be a problem. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that they would have to return to me to be updated, um, you know, by hand. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually upgraded the processor to one that has a USB support kind of thing and found a way actually that you can do like a drag and drop uh, file uh, f- uh, software update mm-hmm. function. So you basically can plug in your computer and it will show up like a USB um, mass storage device. And then you can click and drag a file. So so I can put I can put like the newest firmware update on my website and you'll be able to click and drag it onto your device you know, to fix bugs or yeah. add features or whatever comes along. That's great. That's really um, cool. Yeah. So, so that's a nice feature. Um, uh, your estimated delivery for these uh, is August. Um, yes. And I'm guessing that based on how well you did with stuff last time, you're feeling very confident that you can um, hit that. Hopefully, especially with a less <laughs> less awkward year than 2020 was. Yeah, I, I am hoping. Um, I would like to hire somebody to help me when I build those, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not sure if the pandemic is going to let me do that uh, safely um, because I, I build them in my basement right now. Um, so that may not, I may have to build them all by hand myself, which might take a, a little while. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping for August. Um, I have my fingers crossed that that'll all be fine. Yeah, I think it, it it fits the timeline right now. So I, yeah, I'll be all right. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a slog for a few months uh, building them all. <laughs> you know, forty hour weeks of of assembly or longer. Yeah, well, but, you know, uh, you you okay. you signed yourself up for this <laughs> torture this in did. front of yeah. you. So um, at least you you set yourself up where uh, the success of it is not going to cause you problems other than having to do it. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping. I'm hoping if uh, if our vaccine rollout. Uh, I mean, it's not. It hasn't been going great here. Uh, they're a little slow. Yeah. Um, like I think they're doing like ten thousand people a day or something still, which is really pathetic. But um, if they can, if they can speed it up and and uh, and then I could uh, hire somebody. Yeah, it's That'd unusual be nice. being British and being able to be smug about something with this. But like, yeah, we're doing really well with the vaccine rollout. The first time we've done really well with anything yeah. in the entire situation. But well, uh, I think it's because we're stuck buying them from the United States, and yeah. they have like they have first dibs. I think so. Yeah, that's our that's our trouble. 
So as listeners, as you said right at the start, this as listeners are hearing this, if you listen to it, the um, yeah. the project ends on where are we? March the tenth. Uh, so that's right. You've still got enough time to go out and back this if you want to check it out, watch the the um, video, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it, everything you need is on there. And also, you because as you said, you sent it out to various um, people like Nick Carver, like Matt Marash, right. um, yep. who have taken it out, used it, and will give. I mean, and the great thing about the people you've chosen is they're people who are well respected and give good honest opinions about the stuff they're using as well they're not going to just go oh this i got sent this this is great they're going to tell you how they actually right. feel about it and and where it fits in which is fantastic when you're looking at something like this um I, actually sorry the other thing i just remembered is another change that i made um which reminded me because uh, uh, i sent one to uh, ben horn mm-hmm. um, who's uh, quite popular as well yeah um and he he was kind of saying um, he really needs it to do one third stops. So the way I was doing it was uh, it would read in whole stops, but then it would give you the decimal point for the exposure value. Mm-hmm. So you could then sort of interpolate your own, uh, you know, sub stop selection if you were interested in that. Um, but a lot of people were also were uh, a lot of backers were also asking for for um, third stops and half stops. So so now what I am going to do is actually make a menu option that lets you select between whole stop reading, whole stop numbers, mm-hmm. uh, half stops, and third stops. So you can basically enable how many you want. Yeah. <laughs> if you want if you want straight readout for you know full stops because you're just using your your uh, not a point and shoot, but if you're just using like an SLR or something and you mm-hmm. you know you don't really uh, you know, you feel like one stops, uh, you know, the sort of normal, the normal uh, accuracy you can get with most cameras anyway. Yeah. Then um, you can go wild with that. And then, the, you know, then essentially the, the menus aren't so long that you have to scroll through, you know, shutter mm-hmm. speeds that you don't have and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but for people, like, especially with large format, if they're doing like multi-second exposures, they want more granularity because they're counting out seconds or watching a clock Yeah. for, you know. 15 seconds or 20 seconds or 25 seconds like they want increased granularity so so it's so now that's an option as well as uh, that the user can choose between uh, whole stops half stops and third stops i i love hearing about all of this stuff i love hearing about the stuff that people want um and the amount of precision and specificity they want to get their metering mm-hmm. so absolutely spot on it is for some people it is such a high precision thing um obviously yeah. you're, you're here on a podcast the very title of which is about basically just guessing eh, close yeah, enough cool. is good enough um but yeah. no I, I think it's wonderful um i hesitate to ask this because obviously you're in the middle of this kickstarter and you've got uh, uh-huh. a lot of making things once this kickstarter is finished to actually do it but um also you seem like the sort of person who is always thinking and always engaging ideas. When I f- started this, I was thinking, well, this must be you done with light meters now because why, why else? You, you've got this great spot meter. You've got this great hot shoe light meter. What more could there be to do? And then I went, well, actually, uh, you know, a flash meter would be pretty mm. handy. And, and a light meter that works in super low light would also, like, that's not things out there. Um, what do you yeah. think is going to be next for Raveni Labs? Is it going to be more stuff for meters, or are there other problems that you're interested in taking a run at? I do have some more ideas. Um, I, I think my next product is going to be another meter because mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't have an incident meter in the line. They're all reflective meters right yeah. now, um, and I think I have a pretty cool idea that's not just the same old thing 
for incident meters. Um, that I think might be exciting, like for people, um, you know, because so many incident meters are just the same kind of box with a dome on it, right? Yeah. Um, so I have a cool idea. I'll, I haven't I haven't talked about it yet, but I'll, I'll tell you about it once we stop recording. <laughs> but that, uh, that's cool. No, that's good. Keep, yeah, keep it you don't get to hear about this yet. This is the, <laughs> this is what this is the reward for having a, your own. There podcast. is something cool. Actually, that's one of the reasons I want to hire somebody so I can spend more time working on that on that yeah. idea. Uh, yeah. rather than, you know, do the work that only I can do rather than doing the work that anybody can do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's only to describe it. But, um, yeah, and then and then also, you know, there's like, like there's, uh, I have some ideas maybe with easing. So, you know, so many people would get their film developed uh, for them and people still do that now. But if you're outside of the city or something, if you have to mail your film to the lab and they have to mail it back to you, that's a lot of cost and a mm -hmm. lot of waiting. Um, and you know, black and white is reasonably easy to do at home, but you know, some, some way to improve the convenience, uh, you know, make some convenience for color home developing. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of ideas. I think that could be cool. That's really um, awesome. I'm excited to see what comes out of Raveni Labs over the next, yeah. hopefully many years. Um, because as you clearly <laughs> showed, so <laughs> you, you, the way you approach things is uh, really interesting and you come up with really novel solutions um, that are so usability forwards. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, that's great. That's, that's what we need. As you said at the beginning, the, you know, that we need solutions to problems that are existing and also solutions to problems that are or not even problems but ways to exploit new things that are out there that yeah yeah weren't around before. yeah yeah whenever there's new technology you can kind of go back in in time and look at what uh technologies or what ideas failed because of a lack of a certain technology right like there are lots of old problems that may have been solved you know but but could have a better solution now right? yeah yeah. Um, like kind of the way that email killed the fax machine kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if we never revisited how crappy fax machines are, then maybe, you know, email wouldn't have replaced it or something like that. There's this, that's a bad example, probably, but, <laughs> but that there's, um, that there's, that there's, uh, you know, things that could be better, but also, yeah, in the case of this film stuff, uh, because, uh, you know, we're using equipment that wasn't designed necessarily to last forever. I mean, we know now that nothing is designed to last forever. Um, but that these, you know, nobody, nobody, when they were building selenium meters, nobody was thinking, oh, these aren't going to work in 50 years because mm. they thought we were all going to be flying around in jetpacks 50 yeah. years, right? Yeah. Um, but so we've, we're, we're, in a way, we're kind of like inventing these new problems for ourselves. Uh, but we've also invented new technology that allows us to solve these old problems, perhaps in a novel way. And photography, you know, photography purely as an art form, like it really is now, you know, nobody has to shoot film. Uh, anymore so it really is it's an, it's a, it's an artistic choice uh, and so photography as as an artistic choice uh, you know it's I mean it used to be an artistic choice too I suppose um, but now it is 100% artistic choice mm -hmm. so there's these new sort of you know photography as art purely as art is a new is, is a, basically a new concept um, and there's people who for also for the first time um, you know, young people becoming adults who never had any exposure to film in the past. Like at least you and I, you know, shot film when we were kids. Yeah. Um, 
and or you know photos were taken of us <laughs> on film too um but now there's kids who grew up you know that their baby photos are, are digital right um just just barely now probably where there's people where there's you know they're 20 years old but their baby photos were digital too mm-hmm. and uh so there's there's this there's this, you know it's, it's like totally foreign to some people now and that's and that's new as well so there's all this sort of just there's new situations kind of arising right yeah um and so that was my idea about you know about the Raveni Labs thing is that it's about um, this sort of uncharted territory as film goes from being the way that you get a photograph to a way you can get a photograph. Yeah. So it's so exciting. That's what's kind of driving me? Yeah. 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 It, 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 it is exciting. I think it's great, and I I love the fact that we've got all of these things out there to to be solved to to be figured out to be to new ideas to be had and we've got people like you and like ethan and and like steve lloyd and the guys at negative supply mm-hmm. who who uh, because of the democratization of so many of the tools to do this right, stuff yeah. are coming up with great ideas that you can make happen and you don't have to have the backing of a great big industry behind you right. or some big company you can just go i'm going to try this i'm going to chuck it on kickstarter and get people's attention there and um it's a pretty wonderful time for this kind of stuff it's great yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the bar to entry is, is lowering all the time, getting lower and lower. So it's great for, you know, people with maybe crazy ideas who can, mm. uh, you know, take a take a swing and see what happens, right? Yeah, it's amazing how many yeah. of those swings are actually connecting as well. It feels like we're doing far better with all this <laughs> than we have any right to be, but um, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, where would you like people to go, Matt, at the moment? I'm guessing primarily the Kickstarter at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Kickstarter, um, which you can find uh, just by searching Reveni Labs, R-E-V-E-N-I, on uh, on Kickstarter, and uh, Reveni Labs on Instagram is a great way to see what's going on. Um, there's lots of little things. I'm always like playing around with things. I recently actually built a run of um, wireless mechanical shutter releases. Um, so it's essentially a, a, a little keyless remote oh. and then there's a, and there's a receiver box, uh, and it's got about a hundred meter range. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then you, there's two buttons on the remote. You press one button and you're, and the, the little, uh, pin comes out of the, it's got a, it's a box with a, with a shutter release cable that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And when you press the button, the little motor actuates the little pin out the end of the shutter release cable. This is for uh, 20th to, century to press, your, to press your shutter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the these things did exist, but I don't think anybody's made one in a very long time. I bought um, one, not a remote control one, obviously, but I bought one of these clockwork auto nips, um, like literally oh, yeah, last yeah. week. And it's an old clockwork thing. Guess what? It doesn't work properly. <laughs> I have a, I have a wind up one that mm. screws into the into the thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's made by Sekonic, actually. It's I, I I can't remember where I got it, but. Um, it works, but yeah, it's ten seconds, and you know, if you're trying to do something weird, you'd have to run to uh, set it up. <laughs> but like, if you're, but I mean, if you were trying to set up a, I mean, you know, when you when you're getting really experimental like that, you're, like you're really you're really putting barriers in front of yourself mm-hmm. with uh, with film. But if you, maybe if you're trying to photograph like a bird in a nest, and you set it up when the bird is gone, and then you're down on the ground waiting for that bird to land, you know, you can fire off your shutter. Like you wouldn't be able to do that with a timer, right? Yeah. Or if you're trying to photograph yourself at the top of a hill, 
or t- top of a pile of rocks where you can't climb up the pile of rocks in 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have any friends. Uh, <laughs> then you, um, cause you keep climbing up rocks and that's just not yeah. socially. Yeah. So I built, I built 25 of those. I, I ran kind of an informal Kickstarter where I said, Hey, go to my website and, and pay me for this mm-hmm. and I'll mail it to you in four months, three months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shipped those out earlier this week. Actually, I shipped them out on Monday. Yeah. Is this going to be things come back into the store? Because I can see they're all sold out. There's going to be a couple in the store soon because uh, I, I didn't build that many. They're, they're really time-consuming. Actually, if I could hire somebody, I would build more. They're really time-consuming to build uh, compared to the uh, light meters just because they're big and I have to 3D print a bunch of parts and stuff. Um, so... But uh, yeah, they'll they'll be back someday, I suspect, because uh, I do get people asking me about them. Yeah, they um, look cool. It's, they look it's cool. so it's so it's so niche, though. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, like I said, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I know that it's you know it is a significantly more expensive product than buying one of these old mechanical ones, but also it just works and it works with a remote control. But um, there was yeah. a reason that yeah. I bought one of these auto nips. It's because there are certain things if you want to do it, if your camera doesn't have a self timer on it what do you do and um mm-hmm, you know there mm-hmm. aren't there aren't good options and you know thinking about my co-host claire and all the work that she does boy would she love something like <laughs> this it would be so useful for her um it's also worth you noting should, you that should tell her about it then <laughs> i definitely will tell her about it and she'll be very cross with me for telling her i suspect because it's yeah it's like no that would be the thing she wants also it's worth noting that on your shop on your website um, Reveni Labs. I said it again. God knows why. Reveni Labs.com forward slash shop. You do also have the original Reveni Labs light meter. Um, so if, yes, yes. if people have been listening thinking, well, actually, I don't think I want the spot meter, that's not for me, you can just go to your shop and buy the uh, ever so adorably. I mean, it's less than half the size of a film canister. That's how dinky this is. Yeah. You can hide two of them in a film canister. There um, you go. In case you need to, if for those situations where you just don't want to be found with a light meter on you, um, yeah, perfect. It is. A, I, I have it marked as a choking hazard on the instruction card that comes with it. Not yeah, for ch- not for children under three. Yes, that seems sensible. <laughs> yeah, the last thing you want to is the get eaten. Um, what a terrible yeah. waste of a light meter, and also you might <laughs> kill your child, I suppose. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, Matt, thank you so yeah, much. They are available. For they are available. Good, they are there. These choking though, hazards yeah. are available. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Very best of luck with the rest of the Kickstarter. Not that you need it, because it's already been an absolute <laughs> smash. And I can't wait to see what comes next out of you, and I can't wait to hear, once we sit recording, to hear all the juicy goss, <laughs> which I will never tell. <laughs> Thank you very much, um, everybody, for tuning in to this. We'll be back with you with our regularly scheduled podcast in the next few days. Um, thanks, and goodbye. Bye.